For those who don't know me, I'm Edgar. I'm one of the elders here. And today I have the privilege of sharing with you God's Word. I have to tell you, it's, it's a great responsibility. And it's also, uh, before God, it's, a, it's, it's just an awesome responsibility. And it's a lot of work, I have to tell you that. So if you think Pastor Ron only works Sundays, I don't, I don't know where he gets the time to study because it takes a lot of work. And so it's, it's a great privilege to be with you this morning. Um, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35, all the way to the end of the chapter. So make sure you have your notes with you. I'm going to tell you there's about 20 verses here, twenty, a little more over 20. It's going to be hard to pack it all in. And that's one of our challenges all the time when we share the Word of God, is how can we get this in the amount of time given? And I know we're already moving fastly. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll dig into the text. Father, I want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that we are able to come before you and worship you with our hearts. Thank you that we're able to worship you freely. Thank you for your people that have gathered in your name, and for those with us that are visiting with us as well. We pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us as we open your word. May your word speak to our hearts. May your word give us what we need today, Lord. May your word change our hearts and encourage us to live a life for you. So we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, have you ever asked yourself, I'm sure, and I'm not going to take uh, um, answers because I really, uh, using technology is challenging. Um, I really w- don't want to hear all the answers, but have you thought of, if you could change anything about your body, <laughs> what will it be? Have you thought about that? Yes, you have. Many things we could change about our bodies. We want to change. Now, and you know we hear a lot about changing our bodies today. We hear people trying to improve their bodies. But we also hear people trying to change their bodies, right? Even their gender. So there's this emphasis in our culture on our bodies. Our culture is enamored. They're in love with their bodies. You notice that? You just have to look at Instagram and you'll see pictures of people and their bodies. It's, it's about their bodies. They've got to look good. They've got to take those selfies because they want to look good and they want to show the world. Let me give you an example. Um, I was reading uh, an article this week online. It caught me at my attention right away and goes with our topic. The topic was, my body is the most expens- expensive thing I own. And this is basically what this person said. A fit physique is the ultimate status symbol. No money can buy it. You cannot inherit it. You cannot steal it. You cannot borrow it. You cannot hold on to it without constant work. It shows patience, passion, and discipline. It is true wealth. That blew me away. Now, I, I, I do work on my body, but... That went too far. And this person spends about $3,000 a year to do this. So there are those people that really care about their bodies, and there are those people that really don't care too much about their bodies, right? And uh, 
those people that care about the, don't care much about the body often say, you know, what's important is what's inside. Well, in either case, our bodies are in sta- a state of decay. They're falling apart, aren't they? I used to think that I was, uh, I was perfect in my body and that I, I never felt any pain. As I've grown older, and my wife always reminded me, she got, she got started on the pain before I did. She was like, oh, this hurts, this hurts. I'm saying, and I kept saying, you're just talking. I mean, you're just, you know, ba- basically a baby because you, you, you don't, you're experiencing these things right now. But then I started experiencing it. And then I totally said to her, oh, guys, now I know what you mean. <laughs> and as time goes by, it gets worse. So I can't imagine uh, how it is going to be later on. But our, our bodies are in state of decay. They're falling apart. They won't last forever. We won't, someday we're all going to die if the Lord doesn't return. And we will go back to the dust whence it, we, it came. But is, is that all there is? Is that all there is, our bodies? And we die and we leave it on the ground? Well, we know as believers that's not the case. Uh, when we die, according to Scripture in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8, it says that our body goes to the ground, but our spirit goes with the Lord. So once we die, our spirit goes with the Lord. Our life is really just a rehearsal for eternity. That's how I see it. And we know that our bodies will not stay in the grave, wherever they may be. One day they'll be resurrected. And they'll be reunited with our spirit. You know, the Corinthians were also talking about their bodies too. But their concerns dealt with the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35, this is what it says. You can read as I read. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? You foolish person. The questions they had dealt with the resurrection, they couldn't understand how God was going to put together the body again. And I've gotten those kind of questions. What if I'm cremated and thrown in the ocean? How is God going to put me together? Well, basically, the Corinthians were doing the same thing. How is it possible? We don't get it. And because they couldn't get this, they got to the point where they were denying the resurrection as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12, which Pastor Ron covered last week, says the following. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? They actually were thinking that there was no resurrection. They couldn't understand it. They couldn't explain it. So they said, maybe it's not true. And what's important is what's inside is being spiritual. And they thought they had, they got there. They were already spiritual. But Paul responds in a very direct way and calls them what? Fools. Very hard words. You fools. And so the passage we're going to look at today, we'll learn what the resurrected bodies will be like and when this will take place. Paul uses four analogies in this passages to explain the concept of the resurrected body. And so we're going to look at those four uh, analogies this morning. Number one. And it's in your notes. Uh, hopefully you can follow uh, the notes there. Not everything is there, and some of it's going to require a lot of fast writing. So let's get to it. Um, there are four analogies. 
And the first one is found in verses 36 to 38. Now, before we go on into the text, as you're with Paul is using is the creation, Genesis 1 and 2. He'll mention things that God has created in Genesis 1 and 2, and he uses that as a background to explain the resurrection. Just like there is the first creation, that will be the final creation, which will be the resurrected bodies of believers and enjoying God forever. That is the whole, the whole point of him using the background of Genesis 1 and 2. Verses 36 and 38, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, corresponds with Genesis, and if you want to jot them down, 1, 11 through 13. I'm not going to read it, but you can read this in your groups at, uh, during the week and look it up. But he uses this background of Genesis 1, 11 through 13 with the first analogy. Look at verse 30. Uh, verse 36. He says, you foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some of the other, some other grain. But God gives it a, a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. The first analogy is the analogy of seeds. Paul uses the analogy of seeds to explain the resurrection. And there are two things we're going to look at right here. First, the body is like a seed that dies in order to come to life again. In verse 36, Paul says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. The seed must die. Now, I usually don't bring props, but I figure seeds lends itself to be, to do a nice prop. Now, I went and got some seeds. And unfortunately, the only seeds that I could find were turnip. I don't eat turnips. But if you look at a seed, Paul uses this as an analogy, right? And those of you who plant a lot, I know uh, Happy and his family have a garden, right? I looked at these seeds, and they're pretty tiny. And some of them are bigger than others, right? There is a seed. And when I put it on the ground, what happens? What happens to the seed? Let's see if I can put it all in. It dies. That's what Paul says. It dies. It'll die. But is that it? When you sow it, what happens to the seed? It sprouts back, right? And what do you get? Well, it depends what you, um, what you put on the ground. I didn't put this, I didn't sow this, so those were turnips. But sometimes you don't get a turnip, right? You get a nice... <laughs> That's a nice trick. Sorry, you don't put a seed, turnip, and get that. So just for clarification purposes. But isn't this beautiful? I I love this, right? And one of these fell off, and it died. And I told my daughter, uh, my five-year-old daughter, it, that it had died. And she's like, she was carrying it in the car. She says, it's dead. And then she says, nothing comes back to life again. And that was a great opportunity to teach her about the resurrection. And as best as I could, I tried to explain to her, I'm not sure she got it all, but I explained to her about this concept that we will be resurrected and when that will happen, and it's like a seed. But Paul says that the body is like a seed that dies in order to come to life again. Secondly, in verses 37 and 38, it says that the body is like a seed that when it dies, it is transformed into a new body. So when that seed goes in the ground, you don't get the seed back. You got that beautiful plant. 
You get a transformed body, Paul says. The life that sprouts from that seed is different than the one that died. It is not the same. Now, there is a connection to the seed, but it is different than the seed. And somebody wrote the following to explain this concept. Nowhere does the Bible teach that at the resurrection, God will put together the pieces and return to us our former bodies. There is continuity. It is our body, like the seed. But there is not identity, meaning it's not the same body. It is different. It is a transformed body. Furthermore, look at verse 38. Paul says that it is who who gives it? Who gives the body? God. You know, it's interesting because that phrase that says for God gives us the body is the same thing as God gives gifts. So just like God is the one who gives us gifts, he's the one that's going to give us our bodies, our new bodies. And it'll be what he wants, not what we want. So, so for us to, first of all, limit God and say, oh, God can't do that. He's not going to be able to put us all together. It is to be foolish. Because the word of God says here that God gives the body as he has chosen. To each kind of seed its own body. And secondly, to say that um, because we can't understand all the things about our bodies, we'll be like, and say, and say that, then that will be foolish. Because God says that he can do it anytime he wishes to. And our bodies will be transformed, the Bible says. In Philippians 3.21, you can write it down, I'm I'm going to read it to you. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our bodies will be glorious like our Lord's. That's what scripture says. Now let me give you an application thought for this part. And you have room to write maybe a sentence or two, so you're going to have to... Right, small. But let me, let me give you an application thought from this section of seeds, the analogy of seeds. The God who makes everything perfect and beautiful will do the same with our bodies. Here's what you can write. He will transform us, our bodies as he wills. It is an act of his sovereign grace, and our hearts should be thankful. So let me read that again. He will transform our bodies as he wills. It is an act of sovereign grace, and our hearts should be thankful. So there is no room here to start thinking, well, what is my body? It's going to be young or old. Because I don't want to be old. I want to be young. That's what my, my daughter kind of had that idea. It doesn't matter. God will give our bodies as he wills. He is sovereign. And we should be thankful that we will get a new body. The second analogy that Paul uses is the analogy of bodies in verses 39 through 41. So he's continuing his discussion on the resurrected bodies, elaborating the idea of how the bodies will be using the analogy of bodies. Now, let me just clarify the word bodies here in verse 39 and 41 through 41. He uses it in a very general way. And you will notice why. It's not restrictive to just physical bodies or flesh and blood. He's using it more to refer to a whole of a thing. Uh, the frame of a thing or the physical entities of something to make his point about the resurrected bodies. Paul makes a point here that our bodies or earthly forms are different and there are different types. And he's again using the language of Genesis 1. Now, it's interesting here that he's using Genesis 1 in reverse order, the reverse order of the creation days. 
For example, creations at day 6 in Genesis 1, 24 to 28. Creation day 5th, Genesis 1, 20 to 21. He uses it with verse 39, as we will see. And then he will use Genesis 1, 14 through 18, which is the fourth day, with verses 40 and 41. And again, that's just a little trivia for you, so go back and use Genesis as a reference to look at this passage. But Paul compares two types of bodies and applies his ideas to the resurrected bodies of believers that they will receive from God. Look at verse 39. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind of for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. So here he's just making the point that there are earthly bodies. I'm not seeing your notes. Earthly bodies. And he says there are different types of earthly bodies. Humans, animals, birds, and fish. Now, that's the reverse order of creation. Again, if you look at Genesis, it's the other way around. But Paul is using this analogy to make the point about body because that's his focus. So there are earthly bodies. Number two, he also says there are heavenly bodies. Verses 40 through 41. Your notes are wrong. It says 40 to 44. You can cross that out. It's 40 to 41. Verse 40 says there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one of kind. And the glory of earth, earthly is of another there is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for the stars differs from star in glory. So Paul here is saying that there are different types of heavenly bodies. So now he's moved to explaining just physical bodies, flesh and blood. He says flesh, he refers to bodies, but now the word bodies takes a different meaning. He says body refers to heavenly, the astronomical bodies. He uses the stars and moon to refer. They all are different, he says, and they all have their proper dignity. They have the proper glory based on how they were created. So what is Paul's point about this? So yes, there are all these creatures created. Yes, there are these heavenly bodies created. The point is in verse 42. Look what it says. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. So Paul makes the connection here, the application, that just like there are different types of earthly forms, there will be the bodies that we will get will be different as well based on how God gives it. Now, verse 42. Notice what it says after that. What is sown? He's coming back to the idea of seeds to make his point about the resurrected bodies. How are the earthly bodies and resurrected body different? Let's look at several things. I don't know if you have... Yeah, that you do have the point. So here's a point uh, for, from Paul. Four things about how our bodies... Our resurrected bodies will be different. Number one, the earthly body will not be subject to corruption or decay. It will be raised in incorruption. It will not decay. Verse 42. What is sown is perishable. Okay? The body, when it dies, is perishable. It dies. It doesn't last. That's what Paul says. What it's sown, it says, is imperishable. So our earthly body will not be subject to decay. Isn't that great? I mean, our bodies are not going to be subject to the decay that they are now. So Paul says, this is the way our bodies are going to be. It is going to be imperishable. One philosopher said this about the fact of our bodies. Youth beauty fades and manhood's glory fades. But you know what? No matter what we do in this world to keep our bodies perfect, 
I got news for you. We're going to decay. But our new bodies won't decay. They won't be subject to the decay that our earthly bodies are. Number two, verse 43, look what it says. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. The earthly body will not be subject to dishonor, but will be raised in glory. Now, dishonor. Is there a dishonor in a body? Yeah. There are many things that cause dishonor to our bodies. We have so many blemishes, so many things that we experience in our bodies that cause us dishonor, right? And Paul may be referring even to the things he went through as an apostle. Some of the things that he was experienced, such as persecution, how he was treated, mistreated, how his body was punished. And it says, we have the dishonor, but not with our, our resurrected body. They will be raised in glory. It will have a splendor. It will be majestic, not like our old body. Our bodies will be glorious, just like our Lord's. Look at, with me at Philippians 3.21. Philippians 3.21. And if you want to write them, you can write them as well. This is what the word says. Who will transform, the Lord Jesus Christ, our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So Paul says that our bodies are going to be glorious just like our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.27 says the following, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So our bodies will be our, like our Lord's. They won't be experiencing this honor that they experience now. Number three, the earthly body will not be prone to weak, weakness. It's, it will be raised in power. The earthly body will not be prone to weakness. It will be raised in power. Paul says, it is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Do we have weaknesses as we mentioned? We do, right? But we as believers experience more than just our physical weaknesses, don't we? We experience our weaknesses from our own flesh, from our own sinful nature. And if you haven't, you're not experiencing that, then you either are not living right with God or you don't know Him. Because we all know that as believers, we struggle within our own self. We have those weaknesses. We have our, our sinfulness coming out of us, right? Our desires, our passions. And they're prone to that. They're weak. Remember what the Lord said to Peter? What did He say to Peter when He couldn't, uh, and His disciples, they were praying? What did you say about prayer? He says, what? The body, what? Is weak. We can't, we can't last. How many of you can, can pray for hours? Well, maybe I should think, assume that nobody can. But isn't it difficult? Our bodies give up and immediately our minds start to wander. Or we are reading scripture and our minds begin to wander as well. We are weak, right? But the scripture says that our bodies, our new bodies, won't be prone to this weakness. It will be raised in power. Number four, the earthly body will be a natural, will not be a natural body, it will be raised a spiritual one. What does this mean, a spiritual? Isn't by definition something spiritual, not physical? Well, that's not what Paul says. 
Paul says here that our bodies will be spiritual, but he doesn't say that it will be immaterial, that you will not be able to have uh, a body that you can actually touch. In fact, he uses, in, in Greek it's a little different because we often use body uh, in a different way, but, and, and we say just that. But Paul used the word uh, soma psychicon, which means from the psych, from the soul, a body control, there's a, there's a body control by the soul, by the human nature. But there's also a body, says Paul, that is soma pneumaticon, which means it's a body that is controlled, governed by the spirit. There are those two types, Paul says. There is a body that's controlled by the natural. There is a body that's controlled by the spiritual. So this type of body is different. Someone wrote the following, the nature of the resurrected bodies will be spiritual, not in the sense of immaterial, but of supernatural. So our bodies will be supernatural. Very amazing. Now, do you remember how our Lord was when he resurrected from the dead? Well, our bodies will be very similar in the way his was. I'll give you the the references. We won't have time to read them. Luke chapter 24, verses 33 and 43, through 43. And John 20, verses 19 through 29. Do you remember how Jesus appeared when the disciples were gathered together? Do you remember that? Do you remember him opening the door? What did he just do? He just appeared. He showed himself, right? That's supernatural. Now, who wasn't there the first time? And what did Thomas say? Hey, if I don't touch him, I don't feel his wounds, I'm not believing. Was he able to do that? Yes. Jesus came back another time. He just appeared. Supernaturally. And Thomas was able to touch his body. Well, our bodies are going to be very similar to our Lord Jesus Christ. It'll be a supernatural body. It'll be a spiritual body. Now, because our bodies are spiritual in nature, right? Soma pneumaticon, controlled by the Spirit. How is our worship going to be? Is our worship going to get any better? Amen, right? Our worship will be perfect. Man, I can't focus sometimes. I'm reading and then my mind goes somewhere else. Got to come back to what I'm, what I'm worshiping, right? Because our bodies are weak. But in our new body, we'll be able to worship Him perfectly because we will have the body that is adapted to the spiritual nature of things. Now, it doesn't mean that right now we can't worship Him. It doesn't mean that we can't do it. The application thought for you right there is our bodies are to be presented to God as an act of living worship and given to His use. Our bodies are to be presented to God as an act of living worship and giving to His use. Romans 12.1, some of you know it by heart, right? What does 12, Romans 12.1 says? I appeal to you, brothers, right? By the mercies of God to present, what? Your bodies. As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God asks us to present our body as an act of worship. So we can do that now. Even if we don't have a new body, we still, we can do that. Present our bodies daily as an offering, as a worship 
token of our affection to the Lord. Now, Paul continues his analogy of the, of the bodies, and now he's going to use the comparison of two representatives. Verses 45 through 49. And he's going to use Adam, and he's going to use Christ. He's going to contrast Adam and Christ as representatives. Christ here, or Adam first, represents the inaugurator of fallen men. And Christ represents the inaugurator of spiritual life for those who have put their faith in him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which we looked up last week, verses 21 and 22, says the following, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Death came through Adam. Resurrection came through Christ. Verse 22, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So in Christ we're all going to be made alive. So here, again, the contrast between Adam, the first man, and the last Adam, which is Christ, the resurrected one from the dead. Now let's contrast and let's write some things. I don't know if you have, or you do have, uh, between Adam and the first man. Let's look at verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. So first, the first Adam, he was what? Alive. Genesis 2-7, he says that he became a living soul. He was alive. Now, that life came from God. But notice what it says about Christ, the last Adam. The last Adam became a what? Life-giving spirit. So, the last Adam, he is a life giver. So you're going to have to jump. I know there's A and B. So number one is he was alive. Jump to B, one. The last Adam, Christ, resurrected from the dead, he is a life giver. He raises people from the dead. Number two, verse 46. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. So the second thing about the first man, Adam... He was the first head or the representative of the human race. And Christ, he was the last representative of those who are spiritual, those who belong to him. So he is the first one and the last. There is none after that. Number three, Adam, the first man, verse 47, says that uh, the first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is a man from heaven. So Adam, the first man, he was made from the natural, from the dust, he says here. But the last Adam says he was from heaven, spiritual. Now, I think you have a quote there, and I'm going to let you read it. What does that mean, it's spiritual? And there's a quote there that you can read and look up those verses. It's not my quote. It's from somewhere else there. But basically, when it says that this... The second Adam, Jesus, the resurrected one, is spiritual. It means that he was from heaven. He possessed a supernatural life. He was from heaven. And you can read there, it's a really good quote about, about this, this part. How does this apply to us? Verse 48 and 49. As a man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. 
just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So Paul applies this idea of the first man, Adam, and the last uh, Adam, which is Christ, and applies it to us. And in other words, he's saying the following. Those of us who have believed in Christ will bear his image completely in our resurrected bodies. And this is far more superior than carrying the image of Adam, who was our first man, but was carrying also fallen nature. And we are, we are carrying that even now. We're still carrying those remains of Adam, right? That sinfulness is still part of us, but not with a resurrected body. So here's an application thought for you. We are in a transformation process. We are in a transformation process. Yes, we don't carry his full image now, but we are in process. Colossians 3.10 says the following, And have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So the Bible says that we are already in that process. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says the following, And we all with unveiled, unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we are in process of that transformation of bearing that image of Christ completely. And then Romans 8.29 Says the following, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We are in process. We are his body. We need to show the world that we are in that process, that we belong to Christ now, and we're in process of transformation. It is not our time to just sit and, well, I'm going to wait until God transforms my body because I can't do this. That's not what Paul said. The fourth analogy that Paul uses is new clothing, verses 15, 50 to 57. Paul is concluding his teaching now on the resurrected body. Now, here are the questions he's already answered. Are the dead resurrected? Has he answered that question? In the verses that we looked? Yes, they'll be resurrected. In what body are they resurrected? Has Paul answered that already? Yes, it's a resurrected body. It is a transformed body. It is a spiritual body. But Paul will continue to explain this, that all believers will be transformed, including those who are alive, he says. And he calls that a mystery. He explains why they need to be clothed with their new clothing and how this will happen. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 37 says that the body is like a naked seed. It needs to be clothed with new clothing, imperishable clothing. And in the resurrection, our bodies will be given a new, a new one. It will be clothed with a new body that's adapted to kingdom living. But why do we need this clothing? Paul answered this. Number one, verse 51. Let's start with verse 50. I'll tell you this, brother, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the, the perishable inherit the imperishable. So number one, our bodies made of flesh and blood and corrupted by sin cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Right now, the way we are, we're not suited to go to heaven. 
can't take us with this body. He can't go anywhere except the, the ground. Flesh and blood that's corrupted, Paul says, cannot inherit the kingdom. Verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery, Paul says, we shall not all sleep, but we should all be changed. Our bodies need transformation. Our bodies need transformation. Paul says this is what's being revealed as a mystery, that we all need transformation, including those of us who are still alive. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1, and all the way to verse 8, says that we have this body right now, that wants to be free and wants to be able to worship God completely without those limitations of our body. Romans 8.21 says that we groan with nature as well. We want to be free from our bodies. I don't know about you, but I long for that. I long for being transformed because my body does not work well in spiritual things either. We need that new body. We need a transformation. We're groaning and asking the Lord... Come soon, change us, transform us, because we need you. We need to be perfect. When and how will this happen? Paul answers this, verse 52 through verses six, verses 56. Let's read. It says, Behold, I tell you a mystery, we should all not all sleep. Sleep, he uses that word, sleep, to refer to people who are dead. Their bodies are like sleeping. But we shall all be changed. Verse 52. There are several uh, ways how this is going to happen. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. So how is it going to happen? Blink, would you? Yeah. Really fast. Now, I try to picture that. How fast I will be. In an instant, Paul says, what happens in an instant? At the last trumpet. Now, what is this about the last trumpet? Well, the last trumpet was used to refer to a warning or a battle cry, this is an indication that Christ is coming. That He is coming to get His children. He is coming to get them and glorify them. It is the end of the church era. And it says it will happen at the last trumpet. But what else though? For the trumpet will sound. Here's the order. How is it going to happen? Who's first? You can answer. Right? It says that the dead are going to be raised first, right? The dead, says, are raised. And, and then what else? In a moment, the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. And we, what? Who's Paul saying? Who's we? Well, Paul thought that he wasn't going to die. He says, we, Right? We're all who are alive will be changed, transformed. And we read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21 and 22. It says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ you all be alive. It is through Christ that we also will experience this. And we will be raised imperishable. Now, so we will be clothed, verse 53, for this perishable body must be put on. Now, in this version, it says put on. In another version, it says what? Clothed. That's where the analogy comes from. We will be clothed with imperishable, and we shall all be changed. Our bodies will be clothed with first, 
incorruptibility, meaning it will not decay. Verse 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable. Verse 53 also says that in this mortal body must be put on immortality. So this new body has to be changed. It will be incorruptible. It will be immortal. But also, number 5, verses 54, the end of verse 54 and verse 55 says the following. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallow up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, death, where is your sting? Paul says that this also will bring the final defeat of death. When our resurrected bodies are transformed, when our bodies are transformed, it will bring a final defeat of death. And Paul quotes from Isaiah 25, verse 8, and Hosea chapter 13, verse 14, how this will happen. Now, go to, with me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we have very little time to finish this up, so we're going to have to hustle here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Now, in that passage, Paul also refers to this event, which we believe will be during the rapture of the church. I'm actually not going to read it, but it's there. And it explains how it will happen during the rapture. When will it happen? When Christ comes for his church. And that's what we believe the time will happen. Now, this resurrection, though, applies only to believers. It does not apply to non-believers. So we will clothe our body with new clothing, and we will have an incorruptible body and an immortal body. And we will be rejoicing because it will bring an end to sin as well. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Because of the law, because of the scripture that says things that we shouldn't do, we also have the, pro, the prone or the, the tendency to sin. And the, uh, the Word of God says here that when our bodies are transformed, we won't have that problem anymore. The power of sin will be gone because sin will not be there anymore. We will not violate God's law anymore. We will be perfect. So let, let me wrap this up by giving us some applications to this. I know it's a lot of information, but that is so worth looking at. Number one, and would you somebody please just, I'm going to ask uh, some participation here. Somebody to read number one, and then I'll give you what's in the blank. Someone please read. Our bodies? Our bodies are weak, but our Right. Verse 57, right here in our text, says, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So even though our bodies are weak, we can still be victorious because we can depend on Him in our weakness. That goes in your blank. Depend on Him in our weakness. In fact, the verses that you can look up later on says that it is in our weakness that the power of God is manifested. It's not in your strength. It is in our weaknesses that the power of God is evident. I love it when Paul says that many times he was preaching with fear and trembling. Now, you may see us up here and see, man, these people don't, are not afraid. But I think my knees were shaking. But you know what? The power of God is manifested in, in weakness, not in strength. Number two, somebody read that. 
First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So, yes, our bodies are to be used to be faithful to the Lord and His truth. Because this passage goes back all the way to what we've seen in 1 Corinthians, but also in His service. So here's what we need to do. Purpose to be firm. To be immovable. But it should be immovable. Sorry, there's a mistake there. In your faith and in the work of the Lord. Purpose Purpose to be firm, to be immovable in your faith, abound and overflowing the Lord's service. Now, notice what it says, abound. You've got to be generous in how you serve the Lord. The opposite is just being mediocre, half-hearted. You're not really doing things with your heart. Paul says that, no, we ought to be doing things with a whore heart. So number three, somebody read it. Yes, and there's a, a, a reference that we're not going to read. Present it as a daily act of worship, as we have said before, Romans 12.1. Present it as a daily act of worship. Every day, you should present your body for God's use as a living sacrifice. Number two, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 13 forces to put it on. Again, it's the idea of clothing, putting on. The moral qualities, the spiritual qualities of our Lord need to be put on in our own Bodies. Number four. Our bodies need to uh, be taken care of both physically and morally. We are stewards of it, not our owners. So, the, in the blank, protect it from what can damage it. Now, the references there are to things that are moral and, and immoral. We need to protect our bodies from those things that can harm it, both physically and morally you realize that our bodies are not our own. That's a concept. Our bodies need to be taken care of because they're not our own. So if we're striving to protect it physically and morally, it's because we know that it belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to us. And the better we have it taken care of, the better it is to serve Him. And the last one, number five. And again, this is for someone who doesn't know Christ. If you don't know Christ this morning, you're not sure about where you're going to go if you die. If you can't be certain that when you die today, your spirit goes to be with the Lord, then you need to come to Christ today. Without that, you cannot have be part of that resurrection. In fact, the re- references that we wrote there is the, about the judgment. It's the great white, white throne judgment. And you will be raised as well with new bodies. They will have a body suited for eternal separation. Now, God wants you to repent and come to Him. So if you haven't experienced that, you don't know, you don't have that certainty that when you die, your spirit goes to heaven, you need to repent now and come to Christ. Because you also are going to have a new body. But the body will be separated from Christ forever, for all eternity. And so I call on you today to give your life today to Christ. Don't wait for judgment. Let me finish by just uh, reading to you a, some, some uh, words from a, a hymn. It's called, Behold the Amazing Gift of Love. High is the rank we now possess, but higher we shall rise. 
though we shall hereafter be, is hid from mortal eyes. Our souls we know when we, he appears shall bear his image bright. For all his glory, full disclosed, shall open to our sight. I hope so great and so divine, may trials well endure and purge the soul from sense and sin as Christ himself is pure. And that is our hope. That's what Isaac Watts wrote. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. I thank you that we have the hope that someday you will transform our lowly bodies into the bodies like our Lord Jesus. Thank you for the hope we have now that we can have fellowship with you. Thank you that we can serve you. Thank you that you are with us even in our own weaknesses in our, within our bodies. I pray for those that um, have not committed their life to you. Pray that you open their hearts today, that they will come to you, that they will receive the, receive the gift of life and be able to experience also the joy that will come when our bodies will be free and will be glorious like our Lord Jesus. So we ask that you bless this congregation, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.